And uh, happy Father's Day to everyone. Um, I'd like to uh, start by saying thank you to Greg Hubbard, who spoke last week and uh, did a great job talking about forgiveness. It's uh, a great day for some of you and maybe a tough day for some of you as well, uh, depending on uh, your relationship with your father, depending on whether your father is uh, still alive, and just a lot of different emotions um, on a day like today. And uh, it's a great day for me because, here we go, um, <laughs> I actually have my dad here, which I don't get to do very often. So it's uh, good to have my mom and dad here uh, with us today. Um, I read uh, about a story about a father who happened to write about an experience he had. Uh, his son David, when his son was about five years old, um, they were going to church, and as the pastor did once in a while, he had a special sermon time where he brought the kids up front, and if you're here on a fifth Sunday, we do the same thing. And he brought up all the kids, and uh, the, the preacher had a smoke detector in his hand. And he asked all the kids, does anyone know what it means when this goes off? And little David raised his hand real quick, and the pastor called on him, and he said, that means daddy's cooking supper. Now, as funny as that is, it's a reminder of the fact that dads are often dissed when it comes to stuff like that, aren't they? Uh, I was reading on a CyberSalt website about a conversation that took place in another family. The children started begging for a hamster. And after all the usual promises, parents, that we hear from our kids where we'll take care of it and we'll feed it and we'll clean it and we'll blah, 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 who ends up doing it? Mom, right? Okay, so that's what happened in this family as well. Mom was the only one doing it, and so after two months, she realized that it was time to find a new home for their pet hamster, Danny. And so the children took the news of Danny's Im imminent departure quite well, though the daughter lamented, he's been around here a long time and we sure will miss him. Yes, Mom replied, but he's too much work for one person, and since I'm that one person, I say he goes. Her young son offered an idea. Well, maybe if he wouldn't eat so much and wouldn't be so messy, we could keep him. But mom was firm and said, no, it's time to take Danny to his no, new home. Go and get the cage. With tears in their eyes, the children looked perplexed and said, Danny, we thought you said daddy. Dads are often, some, or sometimes they're dismissed as well, aren't they? Has anyone noticed uh, on these you know, sitcoms, these half an hour shows where there's a problem and it's all resolved in 30 minutes, which would be nice if life worked that way, that these families that they portray on TV usually consist of a strong woman, independent children, and an out-of-touch father. That's just the way fathers are portrayed. And, and a lot of times it causes fathers to be disrespected in families. And so uh, this morning, as we continue in our series, Stories Jesus Told, last week Greg talked about forgiveness and how we need to, to be offering forgiveness to people because we receive forgiveness from God. Today, we're going to look at, at a parable or a story Jesus told that once again tells us not only something about the kingdom of God and what Jesus was trying to teach them, but it also reveals for us a little bit more about our hearts and about who we are and about our condition in our relationship with the Lord. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, that's the text we're going to be using today. And uh, if you're reaching for a blue Bible somewhere close to you, you should be able to find that on page 698. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a conversation between a dad and his two sons. And in this conversation, we see that the father is dissed, he's dismissed, and he's disrespected. And, and those are the types of things that, that happens to this dad. And and we're going to see how that relates to us as well. 
we, we see here that Jesus is speaking to the chief priests and the elders, and the text reads as follows, beginning in verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the farm, father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered, and, and the they in this sentence, in this context, are the, the elders and the chief priests. The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now before we jump into this parable, it's important that we kind of put this whole section of this parable in context. If you jump back to the beginning of chapter 21 in Matthew, you see Jesus' triumphal entry. That's what we call it. If you remember, we talked about that back at Easter time. Jesus is at the pinnacle of his popularity, and people are just loving all over him. He's coming into the city of Jerusalem, and they're waving palm branches at him and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and you know, Jesus, he's the great guy, right? Everybody loves him. And then the next day, we find Jesus going into the temple. And what does Jesus do in the temple? He cleanses the temple. He drives out the money changers, you know, forms a whip and, and drives people out. And that really kind of ticks off the Pharisees and, and the, the religious leaders of the day. The next morning we see Jesus, he curses the fig tree and he makes his way back into the temple. And it's here in the temple that they're asking him these questions, that Jesus is being questioned again. They ask him about, about which authority, how do, how do you have authority to do this? And, and as Jesus often does, he answers their question by asking them a question, and, and they debate it and give an answer, and then they come back and they ask him another question, and he says, what do you think? And he lays out this story, he lays out this parable, and what I love about this is Jesus doesn't answer their question, he allows them to answer the question based on what they know to be true in the scriptures that they have. Based on what they know to be true about God, he says, you want an answer, I'm going to tell you about God. I'm going to tell you about who he is. We look at this story, and it's important that we look at the first, the two sons. And I invite you to grab your bulletin and follow along in the back and grab a pen. There are a lot of blanks to fill in. That's to keep you awake this morning. And you can, you can follow right along and fill these blanks in as we run through this this morning. The first son is the no but yes son. The no but yes son. Uh, the father has some work to be done, and so he goes to the first son, and he says, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Now, the English translation of this whole passage is just awful, just to you know, be, be quite transparent with that. It it's, doesn't give us the full meaning of all this. For instance, in this phrase, Son, go work today in the vineyard, there's this affection that's shown, because he calls his boy, he calls him son, and there's, there's that affection and that relationship that's there. So this is not a, a domineering, a, a demanding type thing. And it says, go work today in the vineyard. It's a reasonable request. It's not uh, you know, him being a tyrant saying, you must go. It's, it's asking. It, it's this, the tense is that it's asking him to go do this. It's expected to go do. It's a reasonable request. Uh, I know that as a kid growing up, whenever I was helping my dad in the shed, and even yesterday, whenever he was helping me fix things that I couldn't fix, and I was waiting until he got here to fix these things, it would, you know, such a thing as, hey, hand me that wrench. Hey, give me that part. Hey, it's a reasonable request. It wasn't, please, would you please? Not, no, none of that flowery stuff. It just, it needed to be done. It's a reasonable request. And that's what the father was doing here. He was asking his son, 
son, go and work. He was telling his son, son, go, go and work. And if you notice in this parable, what does his first son do? Quite abrasively, he says, I will not. And again, the Greek is so much stronger. The Greek says, no, I will not do it, basically, is what it says. And it has this air that the tense there is one of disrespect, like saying, no. Parents, you ever had a child say that to you? I love Bill Cosby's line in that. You don't have to raise your hand quite so high. You know, no. Um, <laughs> I love Bill Cosby's line. He always says, I brought you into this world. I can take you out and make another one look just like you. You know? It's like, what do you mean, no, you won't? Right? He says, no, I will not go. It's, it's the same kind of idea that we see back in Jeremiah chapter 44 when it says, we will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. We're just not going to do it. We've made a decision. I'm just not going to do it. But then something happens to this son. And we don't know exactly what happens. After he thought about it for a while, he changes his mind. And he goes out into the vineyard. And this change of mind led to a change in his action. Maybe he regretted his bad attitude. Maybe there was nothing on TV to watch. Maybe the the love of the father broke through. And he finally said, you know what? That's reasonable. I, I should go do this. We don't know. But the end result is he went and he worked. And then there's the second son, the yes but no son. The second son is is quick to give the response, I I will, sir. He's asked to do the same thing that the first son was, and he's like, oh, sure, you bet. And on the surface, this son is compliant. This is the child we would all want to have, right? You ask him to do something? Absolutely. I would love to. Nothing would make me happier than to do that which you ask of me, Father, right? We would love to have that. But, But what we find here is that this son is just telling his dad what his dad wants to hear. He had really no intention of obeying. At least it doesn't appear that he did. He, he didn't go. He didn't go out and, and, and do what he was asked to do. So not only did he not do what he was asked to do, he lied to his father. You know, you kind of have to hand it to the first son, right? Nope, not going to do it, right? But this son said yes and then didn't go do it. It, it seemed as if looking good was more important than doing good to that second son. He went back to you know, playing his Wii or video games or sending notes via carrier pigeon or whatever they were doing at, at that time. And he just kept doing that. And he, he said he would, but he didn't. So these two sons, they have different attitudes. They have different answers. And it resulted in different actions. The first son was initially rebellious, but then repented and went and did. And, and the second son talked a good talk, but he certainly didn't walk a good walk. And Jesus asked the question at the end of this parable that had really an obvious answer. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. To which Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, to us, we kind of look at that and go, okay, but we have to kind of put it in context here. That Jesus is talking about two groups of people, and they're represented by the two sons, and they're represented by the, the, the leaders and, and this, this group of sinners that's being referred to. And, and we kind of break it down in, into these two groups. The first one is the rebellious who repent. According to the religious leaders, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they would have no shot at the kingdom of heaven. Not a chance in the world. They, they were seen as, you know, less than second or third class citizens. They were just looked down on uh, all the time. Jesus could not have used a more offensive group of people to compare these religious leaders to than he did. Um, he was saying that, that the prostitutes and these tax collectors, they would pass the religious leaders by on the highway to heaven. And they just, they, they just had to be insulted by that. It had to make them so angry 
because of the way they viewed those groups of people. But the amazing truth is this, that we read in Scripture, throughout Scripture, that it doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've done it, that God's grace is available, not only to them, but to you and to me as well. That wherever we are, whatever we have done, God's grace is there for us. We see in, uh, in the Scriptures that the tax collectors, tax collectors like Matthew, and where are we reading from? Matthew. Matthew's writing this, and he's, he's teaching us this lesson, this story that Jesus told. But Matthew used to be a tax collector. A tax collector like Zacchaeus, who Jesus called down out of the tree and went to his house and had a, had a feast. Uh, prostitutes. Those were the types of people that were responding to Jesus' message as he was going through and teaching and sharing the truth. He, they were the ones that, that responded to him. I'm reminded of what Paul said about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Now, hopefully you know who Paul is. If you don't, uh, just a quick reminder. Paul is the guy who was, made it his life mission to go and destroy Christians. He was killing Christians. He was trying to snuff out this new movement, the way, those who were following Christ. He was on his way to, to kill Christians in Damascus when he had an encounter with the Lord. And God showed him grace and mercy. And here's what he says about himself in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. You would think that all the things he had done to persecute Christians would disqualify him. But here he says, Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. God uses the most extreme example here in, through Paul to show us that his grace is sufficient for us. And if you feel like a failure in your life today because as hard as you try, you feel like you fail God and you keep sinning and, and keep doing it wrong, can I tell you that you're not disqualified from the kingdom of God? That his grace is available to you, that he loves you, and that, that he wants that relationship with you? God is a God of second chances, and he shows us that time and time again throughout the scriptures. If you didn't start with the love for him, it's never too late. You can tell him no, but today you could tell him yes. He will gladly accept your love. We read about God's grace all the way back in Ezekiel chapter 18. It says, but if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, he will surely live. He will not die. None of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? See, God is all about forgiveness, and he wants to restore people back to himself. He's not up there waiting for us to mess up so he can zap us down. He wants us to experience that love that he has for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 contains this, this, link of, uh, this list of sins that, that we've all committed or that people have committed. And then in verse 11 it says, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And it's so incredible to think about the fact that, that we can have new life through him because of what he has done for us. We have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and we, can no longer, we no longer have to be condemned. We can be saved. We can receive his grace. We can receive his love by accepting him as our, as our Lord and Savior. His, his amazing grace, his amazing love is, is available to us. One of the things that, that I think to myself often and that I share with people is that, that God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He refuses to leave you in your sin. He wants to love you out of your sin so that you can experience that life with him. 
And we see the rebellious here in the story that, that repented, that came back. And, and that's the, the story that Jesus is trying to tell. That the first son said no, but he changed his mind and he followed. He, he did what was right. In the, in the story, we also see the second group of people. We see the religious who rebel. The first uh, son rebelled initially, but the second son's response was really empty. It was just kind of, it was fake. It was a, it was a facade. And, and I think this speaks to the idea that sometimes that we think that what we say is more important than what we do, but it's really the exact opposite. How we live and what we do is more important than what we say. Uh, the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to, they knew all the right answers. They knew the right replies. They knew how to look good in front of other people. They, they knew their scripture verses. They could quote them. They could give you the book chapter verse. They could expound upon all these things. And yet, they really weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, which is actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 29, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. A couple chapters later in Matthew, Jesus calls out the religious leaders when he says, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Jesus just lays it on the line and says, yeah, they're doing all this stuff, they're saying all this stuff, but, but don't practice what they do. Practice what they preach, but don't practice what they do, because they're not practicing what they preach. Now, I read an article by Pastor, uh, Pat, excuse me, by Pastor Bruce Gottschall at uh, Union Church in which he asked of himself and of his congregation some tough questions, and I throw them out there to you as well this morning. He asked, how many times have I sung words that speak of obedience and yet did nothing to act on that which I profess? We sing songs like, without you I am nothing. Do we mean that? Are those just words on a screen and nice chords that Ian and the band plays and it sounds good? How many times do we say something and we sing it in worship but we don't really mean it or don't apply it? How many times have I promised to pray for someone but didn't do it? How many times have I asked God to lead me and ignored his leading? How many times have I told the Lord that I would serve him when things were tough, only to forget him when times were better? How do we, how do, we do that in our life? How are we living our life? Jesus says in verse 32, For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. The religious leaders of the day, they refused to listen to what John the Baptist was preaching. And the rebellious, on the other hand, they listened because it gave them a message of hope and they repented. And Jesus points out to these religious leaders that they should have taken notice. They should have seen what John the Baptist was doing and at least rejoiced in what those people were doing and what the sinners and the tax collectors were doing. But, but they didn't. They remained unrepentant. And Jesus says, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. I think one of the things Jesus was trying to do, and it's something that, that we have to struggle with as well, is he was trying to teach them more than just the right answers about God. Because we can look up and find the right answers about God. He was trying to teach them who God truly is. And that's what we need to experience as well. We, we come to, to discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, and you can't just do that by reading the Bible as a textbook and by getting all the right answers. It's about developing and knowing who God is and knowing his heart and knowing what he desires for you. There, there are things that, that we need to, to get into God's word and experience, not just know. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach 
the, the leaders. I think it's what we need to be taught as well. And, and so based on this, there's a few things that I think we can apply to our life, some truths that we need to make sure that we know and hopefully will translate more than just knowledge. It'll become a part of who we are. And the first one is this, that the Father loves you, that God loves you. If you're a follower of Christ, then he calls you son or he calls you daughter. And, and, and if you doubt God's love for you or you doubt God can love you, listen to Zephaniah chapter 3. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. There are multiple verses throughout the New Testament which talk about this. And uh, you can see the bulletin's really full on the back. And Corey was going to shoot me if I put anything else, any more scripture references in there. But just start reading through the New Testament. You'll see time and time again that God loves you. He loves you. And everything he does, it's because of his love for you. And if you hear nothing else today, you've tuned me out and you're going to tune me out again in just a second. Hear this. God loves you. If you walk away with nothing else for the rest of the week, would you just simply be reminded that God loves you? Hold on to that and know that to be true. To be true. The second thing is that the, the father desires that you serve him. There's a lot of work to do in his vineyard, as this father asked his two sons. And, and as a believer, you really don't have the option of opting out, of, of really saying no. A Christian who is not serving is really a, a contradiction in terms. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Um, in a leadership team meeting uh, not too long ago, we were talking about this subject and about how people, how we can get people to serve. And one of the things that we talked about was trying to encourage people to use the gifts and talents that, that God has given them to serve the Lord. And it doesn't have to be just inside these four walls. It doesn't have to be just a ministry of PCC. It's something that we want to encourage you to do every day of your life. As you, as you go about your life, as, as you are serving and, and working and doing whatever you're doing, you can be using the gifts and talents that God has given you to serve the Lord. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Ian spoke about the well that won't run dry. And he was talking about and trying to encourage us that, that worship is not just what we do here on a Sunday morning. That service is not just what we do here on a Sunday morning. That it's part, it should be a part of our daily life, of our moment-by-moment -moment life. Because if you're just coming to church to worship and coming to church to serve, you're missing it. You're not going to have what God desires for you to have. He wants you to worship Him every day. It needs to be a part. It needs to be who we are on a daily basis. Number three, the Father expects immediate obedience. He wants us to go work today. It, it needs to be today. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What we do is more important than what we say. Today is the day to say yes to the Father. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. If, if you're a believer, if you've accepted Jesus, now's the time to be obedient to him, to take that next step. Whatever that next step is for you, Take it. Walk in obedience to him. Establish that relationship a little farther. Take that step. Walk in faith. Practice obedience. Number four, the father extends grace. Through his love, he loves to redeem failures, which gives us all hope. Because in one form or fashion, in one way or another, on multiple occasions, we all fail. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I know that, that I'm very thankful for God's grace and his mercy and his patience for me. 
and I'm sure you are as well. I have a, I struggle with showing patience a lot of times. My, one of my favorite statements is, I'd have a lot more patience if God would just hurry up. And I just have to learn to be patient and wait upon the Lord. Another scripture verse says that we need to be still and know that he is God. We just need to rest and relax in him and knowing that, that he desires for each and every one of us to come into a saving relationship with him. Which brings us to point number five, which is the father desires relationship, not religion. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 says, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. There's a difference between wishing and willing. Uh, we can wish for a change, but until we're willing to follow the Father's will for our life, nothing's going to change. Until we're truly willing to take those steps and to do those things, that nothing was really going to change. And, and, and I know that in talking with some of you, you kind of bristle about this, that God desires relationship and not religion because it sounds like I'm bashing religion. I'm not bashing religion. But what I'm trying to do is emphasize that God is not a God who gives us this box of rules and say you have to follow each one of these and make sure you dot all your I's and cross all your T's or I'm going to get you. Because that's the way a lot of people view God. But that is a religious box that we get stuck in. And God wants us to have that relationship with him that says we have that relationship and we love him and we desire to serve him in such a way that those things in the box no longer feel like rules that we have to adhere to. They're guidelines for us to know that it's because God loves us. It's a reasonable request that he says to us, go and serve. Go and work in my vineyard. Follow what I've asked you to do. Be obedient. Do these things. And it's no longer a, a task. It's no longer a chore. Instead, it's with joy that we follow him. It's with joy that, that we do the things that the scriptures tell us to do. It's with joy that we accept his love and his grace. We want to invite you this morning to accept his love and grace in your life. And, and maybe for you, you've never done that. You've been like the first sons just saying, no. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, to do what you've asked me to do, God. And maybe today is the day that you finally say, yes. Yes, I will. Yes, I will follow you. I will accept you. I will start taking that next step. Or maybe you've been like the, the second son and you've been good about saying, oh, yes. Raise your hands, sing, pray, do all those things. But in your heart, it just you're just doing it on the outside. It's not really a part of who you are. Today is the day and an opportunity for you to turn and to repent and to do what God would have you to do to enter into that relationship with him. What better day than on Father's Day to look at the, the father in the story who clearly represents God. And he says to us, will you go work in my vineyard? Will you be my son? Will you be my child? And we have the opportunity to respond to him and say, yes, yes, I will. And then actually follow through and do it. If you need to uh, turn your life over to the Lord, if you need to take the next step in obedience, if you just want to talk to someone about what's going on in your life, if you want somebody to pray with you, this invitation time, this decision time is here for you today. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Ian and the band are going to lead us in this song. If you want to talk to someone, you make your way over to the cross. We'll meet you there.